Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to Mark Selby, Nickel Market Commentator for our weekly catch-up. He's also CEO of Canada Nickel Corp. We talked today about some of the things going on in the market. Elon Musk has been at it again. He says, uh, please mine more nickel. Obviously, a lot easier said than done. Uh, we talk about some of the things holding miners back, perhaps how AI can help. Uh, we also talk about some of the M&A activity going on in the marketplace. Dumont gets uh, sold uh, this week. Um, to Waterton, well, at least the balance of 28% does, and nickel price back up again, possibly off the back of Elon Musk's comments. So enjoy the podcast. Mark, how are you doing, sir? Excellent, sir. Good to see you once again. I actually can see you better because I've got my glasses back. My They, they broke, and so I was with uh, my readers, which don't quite work. So oh, really? I can actually see clearly now. So. Yeah. Yes. Oh, right. Poor you. Poor you. I, I lose mine quite often. And then my children tell me they're on my head. You know, you kind of do that thing. And then you go, where are my glasses? It's, it's, I, I'm, I've reached that age. <laughs> mine, I, mine fell out when I was cutting the lawn and then I drove over it with the lawn tractor. So oh, that, that would definitely do it. it. Well done. Somewhat inoperable. Yep, there well we go. Yep. done. That's spectacular. Well, I better put them back on because I can't see you or the page in front of me at the moment. <laughs> um, so we're, we're here for our weekly catch up on nickel. Um, yeah. And as listening, and we both were listening to the Tesla, um, uh, what would you call it? Their, their quarterly call. Quarterly call. That's it. That's the word. Um, it's losing glasses and my memory. Um, but I thought it was really interesting. I thought it was fascinating because it's quite uh, insightful. It's the way that certainly Elon Musk and Tesla are thinking, and I think others will follow suit quite quickly. But the, the one big phrase which stood out uh, for me was, um, please mine more nickel. Don't wait for the prices to go up. Yes. Well, that's, that's easily, yeah. more easily said than done. So um, what was your take on the call? Oh, no, it was fascinating. I mean, to me first, you know, I would encourage people who are interested in nickel to listen to that sort of, you know, two minutes of it so that you can actually, you know, sort of hear what the context was. But for me, the fact that he was answering that came up with that response and a question to sort of overall battery constraints. So, you know, in invest investor was asking, you know, what what is um you, sounds like you might be less concerned about battery constraints and he launched right into, um, you know, uh, you know, please mine more nickel. Uh, and I, but I think there were several sort of, you know, sort of dimensions to that that were pretty key as A, don't wait for the price to move. Uh, B, um, you know, if you can do it in an environmentally sensitive way. Um, and then three, if you can do it efficiently. So I think, you know, you know, those are the three key things that they're thinking about. And obviously had they haven't gotten there because, you know, he also talks in the call about how they don't need any cobalt, but he's gone off and signed a couple of cobalt deals but he hasn't signed any nickel deals, uh, you know, at, at this point. So, um, you know, I think that, you know, his comments really sort of highlights, highlights some of the key constraints in the, in the, in the industry that I've st started talking, you know, we've started talking about in some of these calls, but I think, you know, <laughs> he drove it home to, yeah. to what the exact. Oh, for sure. Is. For sure. I, I mean, it's interesting, slightly conflicting messages there, as you say, around uh, cobalt. He's saying, talking about cobalt free batteries, but then goes out and invests in, invests in some cobalt. Um, but let's, let's, let's kind of break down on, on the more, the stuff which we did understand, which was the phrase, sure. okay, and, and trying to understand what it means. We said, he says to nickel miners, don't wait. 
What did you read yep. into that? Yeah, what, what that fundamentally is reflecting is at $6 a pound today, there really is no project outside of Indonesia that could go ahead, um, assuming a $6 long-term term nickel price, or at least for a period of time, you know, and, until the, the capital is paid back. Most projects anywhere to sort of 650 to 750 a pound is, is required. Again, we're hoping our project, you know, given what we're seeing so far, might be a little bit below that. But, you know, realistically, that's the, you know, for the next set of projects to be developed, that's the kind of, of, of price range um, that you need. You know, again, he's kind of wishful thinking that, you know, nickel prices aren't there yet. So again, the, the big miners aren't going, you know, until they, they're very confident or the price, more likely the price is actually in that range before they're going to push a button um, on any kind of expansions. Um, you know, so, so I think that's, you know, that's the issue, you know, that's the issue, you know, there that he's kind of really tri- driving home. But, it, but it's kind of interesting, but if someone like him, they've got all the money in the world, uh, they have no yeah. problem raising money, you look, you look at their, their market cap is frightening. Um, you know, nothing is impossible. But for miners, there's a whole different yeah. bunch of constraints around that. You know, pr- price being one, or the cost of money being, you know, being being the other. So, um, what do you do off the back of that? It's nice to hear, but it doesn't change anything, does yeah. it? No, I think the key thing is, is, is again, it's always tough, even for someone who's who's the you know a pretty bold innovator like like Elon Musk is. You haven't seen yet a car company invest directly into a mining project, you know, and that's you know, you know, I I think if you want nickel at a price that's going to you know start at six dollars a pound rather than than higher, you know, then he's going to have to think about that. And so again, it just takes time for corporations to get around, you know, to um, uh, you know, what model might work for them. So, um, you know, there's been models that work for Japanese trading companies in terms of how they invest in projects. And, you know, and there's other ways that people join venture in projects. Um, you know, I think, you know, the Teslas of the world need to, you know, think about how they do it. I mean, I mean, to me, one model that makes a lot of sense is, you know, with, you know, Eric Sprott does a great job of, of you know, advancing, you know, 50 different gold projects simultaneously you know he's not funding the 100 percent of the cost for each one of those but you know he, he makes a uh you know five to ten percent investment in a company that you know allows that company to probably raise double that um and then sort of once they've been eric's brought endorsed it makes it much easier for them to raise capital you know from the group of individuals and funds who follow along with eric so you know he's able to to, to put a little bit of his capital in and, and again all the smart mining people are really good at using other people's money you know to to to, to uh you know multiply the value on on their money so i think you know again uh, you know hopefully you know i'm pretty sure um um, Tesla is thinking about those types of models, and, and, and you know, to me, that would be one way to do it. Is again, you don't need to pick a winner, and you don't have to bet 100, 200 million dollars at this point. But even just endorsing two, three, four companies, you know, that could could potentially get there. If you want that nickel in five or ten years, you're going to have to start doing something like that. And again, a Tesla endorsed company, um, you know, whoever gets you know th- those first couple of investments, you know, will be you know well off to the races because they'll be all of a sudden you know. Uh, a slew of institutional um, and retail money come at that that company to be able to advance the nickel project. So. It's interesting. I mean, the, the way you talk about that, you're, you're encouraging Elon Musk to be, to be more like uh, Eric Sprott, and I, and I'm coming at it from the point of view: shouldn't we try and ask people like Eric Sprott to be more like Elon Musk? I mean, how do you innovate in this uh, in this space? Not just nickel, but mining. You know, you and I have come from outside of 
the, the mining space originally and you know you see yep. these innovators in different sectors solve problems which people who've been in there too long can't I mean do you think is that coming through AI do you think it's coming through I mean, how do we get better at doing what we're doing yeah no I think I mean I think AI on the exploration side is definitely going to open a, a, a you know a huge amount of doors and you're already starting to see that I think we're just in the early stages I mean to my mind you know we've gone through um, several um, sort of exploration waves um, you know I look at if you look at just as an example sort of the great VMS deposits that have been discovered globally you had in the early 1900s you had the sort of the walk-on ones where a prospector was banging through the bush you know saw some rock that looked interesting banged it you know got an assay and it's like oh I've you know I, I found you know uh, a mass you know millions of tons of copper and zinc and silver um, and so things like you know, Sullivan, Sullivan Canada, anyways, example, Sullivan, the Sullivan mine, um, Hud Bay, and so forth. And so, um, you know, th that was that generation. Then we had the second generation is when, you know, geophysics started to be really well used in the late 50s, early 60s. And so, you know, people stopped finding deposits at surface because they'd walked everywhere where you could potentially find one. And then, you know, they found deposits like Kid Creek in Bathurst in New Brunswick, um, which were sitting not very deep below the surface, but below the surface. And, and so, you know, they had been missed at that time. You know, we really haven't had that next, you know, sort of evolution of, of exploration discoveries. And, and I really do think AI is going to be that kind of, because again, you know, we've walked on pretty much everywhere we can go. We've seen sort of the shallowest places and places where we most likely think about where things could be. And so I think now we need to use big data, um, you know, with some smart minds to kind of understand where we may find deposits that we hadn't, hadn't thought, you know, found them before, you know, that's on the exploration side. Um, and nickel, again, we don't have a large project pipeline, you know, that's, that's a critical issue in, in the nickel space. So, you know, there's, there's a, there's a significant amount of effort that's needed on that point, just to sort of start, you know, finding some initial, you know, new discoveries. Um, you know, in terms of the rest of the sector, it really comes down to competition for capital. Um, you know, mining did, is, it done, has always done such a horrible job of, of destroying capital and not doing a very good job at actually returning much capital to, to shareholders. Um, and so, uh, again, I think, you know, at some point, and again, I think, you know, what I'm excited about is, you know, sort of having Tesla and, and that world sort of make that connection, you know, to the mining space is that, um, you know, if we're able to get some patient private equity money, you know, into the space, then I think that, you know, we'll start, you know, I think, you know, we'll allow mining companies, you know, more junior mining companies, you know, more, more different stage mining companies, you know, make smarter decisions. Because, you know, again, you know, private equity doesn't all, you know, they invest in lots of high risk businesses that, you know, you know, again, things like pharma, high tech, you know, it's not like every, every investment you make is a home run. Um, but, you know, w once you know that there's a funding pipeline beh behind you as opposed to, okay, the price popped today, investors are interested, I'm going to take as much money as I can right now because I don't know when I'm going to, the window's going to open again. Um, you know, it just creates a lot of really bad, um, you know, bad behavior on both sides, you know, that, that I think, you know, doesn't help, you know, again, the ultimate goal of, you know, creating value and returning capital to shareholders um, in the future. So. Again, I'm hoping Elon's, you know, Elon's discussions here will lead to, you know, more private equity in that, you know, private equity start to look at, 
you know, at mining, because there is, you know, I think a massive amount of value to be unlocked if it's done properly. I think you used a phrase that was called, uh, you said, uh, patient private equity. And I mean, come from private equity, I, that's definitely not a word I put, put with uh, private <laughs> equity. Was, and, and because of the impatient nature of private equity, it drove people to do better because the demands were there to see, you know, make changes, make adjustments, tweak things on almost a daily basis to improve outcomes. And I think possibly this sector needs more of that, less staring at the share chart on a daily basis, but be outcomes focused in terms of how the business and operation is run. Um, and I, I think might be beneficial. And that's why I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by, you know, these curious minds like Elon Musk approaching the mining sector and so sort of putting a rocket under it with obviously the luxury of a lot of money behind it too. Yeah, no, I mean, I think there's there's one venture, Cobalt Metals, um, that, um, you know, has attracted a bunch of um, uh, basic, you know, private equity money. Um, and so, and this is, you know, a, a venture that's basically said, look, we need more nickel and cobalt outside of high risk areas. Um, and we're gonna start to apply big data um, to, you know, to solving that problem. So, um, you know, that that to me was quite encouraging. Um, what was also encouraging was their first land acquisition was was next to a company that I'm on on the board of called uh, Orford uh, Orford Mining. So, um, you know, I think they, they've the data is pointed to what we saw uh, six or seven years ago. But, you know, we need more of those those types of ventures and we need more of these those type of investors in the space you know if you know if we're going to get nickel all the nickel that elon says he needs um you know in the next five to ten years well let's finish off on the elon statement because it, it was um mine more nickel came with some conditions to came with yes needs to be environmentally friendly and economic efficient which i'm reading as economic so yeah. Again, what's your take? I mean, clearly ESG is a big part of this, um, environmentally friendly or sensitive. Sure, of course. Well, the, the big, you know, where that's really coming from, and again, I sort of hinted at it, you know, in the past, and it is something I'm going to be spending a lot more time talking about is, you know, when you look at where most of the nickel uh, supply growth has come from over the last five years. It's been, you know, nickel pig iron in Indonesia. Before that, it was, you know, nickel pig iron in China. Um, and then, you know, looking forward over the next five years, literally, you know, I don't know the exact number, but, you know, probably more than 100% of the supply growth, because there are, again, other operations that are still shrinking, um, you know, will come from nickel pig iron and other projects in Indonesia. And the challenge with, with, with nickel in, in, in a place like Indonesia is that, you know, processing laterite ore requires huge amounts of electricity. In Indonesia, you know, with the exception of PT Inco, who's built a bunch of hydroelectric dams in, in, in Sulawesi, it all comes from coal-fired power. And then you need to, to um, use some more coal to change the, you know, the mineral into, into a metal. So to make one ton of nickel, at one of these NPI projects, you're using 25 to 30 tons of coal, and you multiply that by 2.8, gives you 80, you know, you know, 75 to 90 tons of CO2 per ton of nickel. So even if you took 50 kilos of that and put it in a battery, I'm not sure Elon Musk would like one or ton, one or two tons of CO2 strapped to his Tesla, um, you know, because he used some nickel that came from that source. 
the other the other projects that are being considered in Indonesia are looking at HPAL projects, and we've talked about HPAL from time to time. The problem with 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 HPAL is 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 again you, um, you you're taking at about one percent of the material, um, and you end up with um, you know ninety nine percent ninety nine tons of it of of tailings for every ton that you process, you know, and and again you know piling up. Um, um, uh, you know, that type of waste in a highly seismic area is not necessarily, we've seen, you know, I- issues in certain locations when it's not done properly. And so, you know, a bunch of those operations are looking at deep sea tailings. You know, again, you know, VW, BMW, Tesla, you know, I don't think are very happy knowing that the product that they might be purchasing is, you know, spewing 99 tons of, of, of tailings in an uncontained way into the sea. Um, you know, to get the nickel and cobalt that they need. So, you know, again, so Tesla's stepping back and looking and saying, okay, in this industry, all of this growth is coming from these, you know, these particular projects, which, you know, <laughs> have a pretty high environmental footprint attached to them. So that's where his environmentally sensitive, you know, you know, parts coming from. And again, you know, we have some nice inherent advantages in our project that we'll you know, be talking about a lot more uh, in the coming weeks here. But um, well, that's, that's fascinating because it's not, it's not just Elon Musk that that's going to um, influence, but it's the big funds. You know, the, the you know we've spoken to the Fidelities and the Blackrocks of this world who are moving over to this, you know, the ESG-led investing um, yeah. uh, theory that sort of thesis that they have, which means that if there are nickel H-pal projects, and you know that sort of those sorts of numbers in terms of the carbon footprint and you know whether whatever spewing into the sea. That's going to influence their ability. You know, when you when you, you go to the investment committee and say, "Well, should we be investing in this HPAL project or a sulfide project?" You're going to get two very yeah. different answers. Yeah. Oh no. And, and again, I think that's where you know, again, mining companies really need to sort of you know what what worked you know in the last you know the last um, last century, the last millennium, you know, isn't going to work in this next one. I mean, you really need to think about okay, how are we going to you know design and construct and operate our project in a way that's going to have the lowest environmental footprint possible because yeah, again you know mining you know a big part of it, it's a capital intensive industry and it's about competing for you know the way if you're able to compete for capital in a in a in a, you have you're sort of more competitive and you're able to get it at a lower price you know that is going to have a you know again in terms of Elon's other goal of having, you know, sort of the most efficient and lowest cost type of metal to market. If you can, if you can do the kind of thing that gives yourself the broadest investor base possible, then you're going to be a winner, right? And, you know, again, we're going to be talking about that at Canada Nickel, because again, we realize that, you know, we, we have to start mining for the new millennium and not, you know, get away from the way we've been doing it in the past. No, it's, it's interesting. I think, I think there's a whole big discussion um, there in terms of retail investors or family office investors, you know, what should we be looking at investing in? Because unless you get the, the big momentum of some of these funds behind the company, there is no future. It's, it's a sort of stag- stagnant uh, future for them in, in a way. But maybe a discussion for another day. But, you know, think about, you know, what you're investing in, which leads on nicely to a question yep. sent in. Uh, okay. I said we'd do some of these. So, it's yep. sent, sent in by um, one of the followers of the show, a, a subscriber to the to, uh, Crux Investor. How can a retail investor best validate the claims of a company as it relates to their assets? And I guess that touches upon some of the things you just said, but it also, I think what you just said is, is, a, is a new thought and quite a, quite a good one. But 
So how would a retail investor with limited access to research go and validate what the company has told them? Yeah, so there's, there's again, that's a challenge, right? You know, a retail investor can't go out and hire an engineering consulting firm to evaluate, um, you know, that an institution or a strategic investor could do. So I would say there's two things to do. One is, you know, um, in Canada anyways, you get access to the full 43101 report. On the ASX, um, you get the press release that's attached to the, you know, when, when they complete the report, but you can't actually get the, the full report. Um, but you do get a bunch of the information in the press release. Look at who did the work. You know, there, again, uh, I think we've talked about this on, 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 on another call, but it's there's basically there's two groups of, of engineers. There's people who do studies that get hired by junior mining companies um, and to come up with good number, you know, again, numbers that someone can sign off on. But, you know, they've actually never built anything um, or haven't built anything in 30 years. And so, you know, put a big question mark around the quality of those estimates. And then there's the engineering firms that actually not just do studies, but actually build things and have built things within the past decade. So, you know, in terms of the quality of the estimate, you're going to get a much better estimate from those group of companies. Again, if it's a mining company that's serious about actually advancing their project, they're not going to use, you know, Joe Engineering Co. or Jane Engineering Co. They're going to go with the the person who has the reputation that when they go to pitch the project to joint venture partners and other larger mining companies, those companies know they can rely on those numbers. The second thing to do is just try and find projects that have been built within the last, you know, again, as close as possible within five years or 10 years. Um, you know, try and find if it's, you know, using nickel example, look at ferronickel projects that have been built in the last few years. Look at HPAL projects that have been built in, in the first few years. And again, it doesn't take a lot of, and maybe this is something we can put together in the next few weeks, is just some historical benchmarks that just say, okay, look at the capital cost. Look at, you know, how many tons of ore were they going to process? How many tons of metal were they going to produce? You know, what's the operating cost? You know, what's the capital cost? Um, you know, and again, seven or eight, it's not, you don't need to go through 20 numbers. It's just pulling those seven or eight numbers and looking at set those seven or eight numbers for some historical projects and just to see sort of, okay, you know, how in line are they? And, and if, they're, if they're significantly different and they haven't explained why they're significantly better, then there's probably a good chance that they're actually not going to be significantly better. So, you know, that, that's, that's, that's what I do when I'm looking at, at um, in, in other projects and I've done on, in a corporate development role. I mean, that's what, you know, um, you know so I'd en encourage people to definitely, definitely, definitely do that. Okay. Yeah, and I think that would be quite interesting if we could help maybe put together the, you know, seven or ten numbers that people should be looking at. I think, obviously, if, if, yeah. if you're able to help, that would be um, for nickel, um, because, you know, yeah. different commodities have, have different types of ratios that you should be um, looking at. Um, with regards to, um, again, sticking with the Elon theme, if we may, just for a little yeah. bit longer, okay? Because yeah. Elon talks regularly about his, his gigafactories and so forth. And, and we talked last week about, you know, the fact that currently nickel's used mostly in stainless steel. That's its, that's its biggest market. Um, but going forward, gigafactories are going to be built. These factories seem to be getting, the numbers certainly seem to be getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, I mean, is there a yeah. number that people are attributing to, you know, as, as a percentage of the nickel market, you know, 
where, where this nickel's going? I mean, is, is EV going to be 10% of the market, 20% of the market? Oh, yeah, no, I mean, um, you know, Glencore has put out a few numbers. And, and again, they've, they've probably got as much market presence as anybody. And, you know, and they're forecasting, they're forecasting a few years ago that we need, you know, 1.3 million tons by 2030. You know, and that's equal to about 60% of, of what nickel supply was in 2018. So, you know, and that's on top of, 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 of the nickel growth. You know, that's... You know that's still not a huge amount of you know that's basically getting to 25 to 30 percent of the market you know getting, going towards electric vehicle being sold um, on that basis you know there's forecasts now that you know uh, again once you get to a certain tipping point you know you're going to see things um, accelerate much more quickly than than people think uh, again you know in, in my my view i wasn't surprised to hear elon Musk talk about constraints around with you know when the question about constraints came up, he immediately leapt to nickel because, again, to even to produce that much nickel, you know, by 2030, in addition to all the growth nickel that's required for stainless steel and all the other applications, in, in my mind, is going to be extremely challenging. So, you know, the, the other part that he did talk about on the call is that, you know, we, you know, that there's, you know, they very much see sort of two strata. They have lithium iron phosphate, which is for the low end you know, lower end part of the market. And they talk about their nickel based batteries is, you know, for the upper end of the market. And that's the way they're thinking about a lithium iron phosphate supply chain and a nickel supply chain. And so, um, you know, that, and again, their battery technology day is coming up. So the fact that they haven't stopped talking about nickel says that <laughs> nickel's going to, you know, be playing a pretty, you know, essential and long-term role as part of their, their battery platform. Going I, I, well, I think I think so. I mean, again, listen to that quarterly call. Uh, they're talking about mega packs, etc. So I think they, they, they've got big plans for sure. Um, just in terms of time, though, um, yep. nickel price falling back a bit this week. Why? Um, again, we, the, the I was surprised that it moved higher, and you it was trading alongside some momentum drivers around the Shanghai index, and then the mm. copper prices had moved, um, and so had it moved along with it. Both of those have come off, and, and it came off until Elon talked last night. Um, and nickel's now back up 20 cents, up over uh, six, you know, six ten a pound. Uh, again, you know, he's the kind of guy that can move markets. Um, so, again, my question is, the near, you know, fully believe in medium and long term fundamentals. I, I'm not sure that the near term fundamentals support pricing above that. So we'll see whether sort of that nickel price erodes back to six dollars here um, over the next month or two. But um, you know, again, in 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 a in a year or so from now, six months to a year from now, if he opens his mouth and and the market's a lot tighter, then you know those are the kind of things that all of a sudden you wake up and the price is up fifty cents to a buck over a week. So, you know, hopefully we'll see that, uh, you know, uh, sooner than later. But it's not it's not going to happen in the next few weeks. So. Okay, okay, the yeah, uh, retiming. Okay, um, a little bit more M and A in the market, like something you know quite a lot about. Yes, a project I'm extremely uh, familiar with. So, um, uh, Corora, which was RNC Minerals, has sold the remaining interest in in Dumont to uh, Waterton. Um, so, for some cash up front and then some uh, residual payout, you know, based on a future sale. Uh, you know, I mean, the big plus, big thing there is you now have the three large scale advanced uh, low grade nickel sulfide projects have all been acquired. Um, in the past six weeks, this is far faster, you know, than I thought they would. So you've got BHP acquiring Honeyman Law from Norilsk, uh, Oz Minerals acquiring Nebel, the 30% of Nebel Babel um, that they didn't own by taking over Cassini Resources, and now Waterton consolidating, you know, their ownership, um, 
you know, in RNC minerals. So you've got, you know, the three most advanced nickel sulfide, large scale, low grade nickel sulfide assets, you know, owned by um, three very tight fisted owners who will not part with them, or either will never sell them or you will only part with them at, at a pretty high valuation. So again, it's, you know, it's helpful for the Canada nickel story and then other um, earlier stage um, nickel sulfide developments out there. Got it. Now, discretion may be the better part of valor here, but uh, the market seems yeah. unsure unsure how to read that. It was effectively 10.7 million bucks cash um, and uh, you know up to, I can't remember if it's 42 or 46 million bucks, depending yeah. on where nickel goes going forward. Do you feel that's a good deal? Would you have been happier with, with that? Yeah, no, I think, you know, you, you had two specific groups with, you know, very specific different sets of interests at this point. You know, Coror is now very focused on gold. And so, you know, again, knowing the gold assets they have, you know, we acquired Beta Hunt and Higginsville while I was there and, and they were both spectacular assets. So I think the opportunity to get some more cash now to unlock even more value um, at, the, at those uh, assets yeah, made a lot of sense, you know, and, and they still retain some upside, um, you know, it, when, if and when the project gets sold, you know, but you could easily contemplate a scenario where, you know, there, a transaction for Dumont doesn't happen for four or five years because Waterton is going to wait for the absolute peak in the nickel market before they, they exit that position. So, yeah, no, I mean, again, every deal you have to make a few trade-offs. And I think, you know, given, given where, you know, Quora is that, you know, that, that deal definitely made sense for them. Okay. Well, Mark, thanks very much for that. Another, another week in the world of, of nickel. I think what's interesting to me is the amount of M&A that's happening in this space now. Obviously, it helps with Mr. Elon Musk you know, saying what he's said. But even before that, and, even, and despite that, I think you know, nickel assets are being mopped up here. And I think it's, it's just it'd be interesting to sort of see where things go over the next six months or so, for sure. Yeah, no, I think, you know, you know, we said all along that there's only a handful of nickel assets. It's not like gold where you've got, you know, literally hundreds of gold companies and, and new ones emerging at every stage. You know, there's a very short list of nickel companies. And so, uh, and again, nickel hasn't started to move yet, um, but you can see one comment from Elon makes the nickel price go up 3%. So again, I would encourage investors to, to not wait too long um, and make sure you're positioned because, you know, as you said, you know, the, Three, three assets have gone in, in the last six or seven weeks here that, uh, you know, I didn't think we would see, you know, transacted on for at least another year or two. So interesting times. OK, Mark, we'll catch you next week. All right. Sounds good, sir. Take care. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.